Hi everyone, it's me again, Shiloh Thomas from Veritas Alta, delivering unified data management. Welcome back for our next episode of the Voice at Veritas podcast. So if you've joined us the last couple of sessions, we've been drilling down into different concepts that impact business resiliency. Some may say moving to the cloud isn't secure, but I challenge you that when hardware does fail, you're just as vulnerable to information loss. Then in our last podcast, we discussed keeping your data safe in an isolated environment. Now today, well, let me first introduce you to my guest, Alain Pellegrin, a real IT problem solver who not only has the pulse on the market, but also has a passion for helping customers get ahead of issues before they become problems. Welcome, Alain. Thank you, Shiloh, um, and hello to everyone. I am very thrilled to be part of today's Voice of Veritas podcast. And I want to thank you for inviting me, Shiloh. Oh, we are so happy to have you here today. And I hear that you're the problem solver. So, um, and if, if you're not, just pretend as we go along here, okay? Yeah, so, well, problem, <laughs> world problems is probably an overstatement, but uh, it would be fantastic, <laughs> uh, of course. Uh, let us say that my part of solving problems is very much in the space of, of data management and data protection and to ensure customers can keep their data safe uh, wherever it resides and to recover it whenever they, they need it. So, and that's, I think, already more than enough problem solving. It's a full-time job, so, yep. <laughs> I can definitely believe it. So before we get started, did you know that 20% of the world's population are habitual procrastinators? You're not one, are you? Um, I'd like to think I'm not, <laughs> but I believe that we are probably all a bit of a procrastinator. So I have a tendency to prioritize what I like to do. So that may not be always what I need to do, but it would depend, <laughs> of course, how much it fascinates me, etc. By the way, I have a book which I received from my wife, which is The Art of Procrastination by a professor oh. at Stanford University it's called John Perry. And I would really recommend every procrastinator to read it. It's an excuse to actually keep on doing what you're doing, delaying stuff. But in the end, um, you know, it's not really a very good thing to do, but um, it's, um, it's a human behavior, I believe. <laughs> Oh my goodness. So I have to admit that there are times when I'm most definitely one of those. I, I, I will definitely put things off sometimes to tomorrow, which I just don't feel like doing today. But certainly in business, of course, that's a bad habit, wouldn't you say? Yes, very bad habit. Um, but that doesn't mean, of course, it doesn't happen. So um, <laughs> while we all know that we shouldn't defer in certain critical business matters, it just keeps on happening. And I think, again, it's a human thing. I mean, why would you do something today if you can do it tomorrow? What's the rush? I think I've been guilty of that some sometimes myself too. I'll do it tomorrow. You know, that's the that's the statement that we all use. Uh, but it's not something yeah. that you would should do with business matters. The impact of a delay can have serious consequences. So um but yes, experience tells us that it does happen more than you'd like to believe. Yeah. Well, and that certainly brings us today's podcast, planning for the failure that may occur and what would be a good plan if you don't practice it. So how about we go ahead and get started and are you ready to dive in? Yes, I am. All right. So I know that you regularly meet with some of our largest customers. And in your discussions, what would you say are the most important data management issues that they're facing? The regular conversation is about two main general high-level topics, and they return in almost any conversation I have with customers. It's the implementation and adoption of the cloud. That's the first thing. And the returning concerns about uh, ransomware attacks or cyber events. And it may not look as such, but the two are really related. And they're more related than you expect. So suffering a cyber attack when your data is used as a hostage mm -hmm. or where the data is just stolen and you, it's used to, be, to blackmail you is really a major concern in every customer mind. And then the cloud adoption, which is uh, not really reducing the risk of cyber incidents because the number of ransomware attacks impacting customers' data in the cloud have proven it. 
So it doesn't no matter where your data resides, it's always at risk. So that's the conversations we usually have there. And of course, the additional risk and stress that the move to the cloud is bringing. Many companies are moving to the cloud and they do have a plan, but most of the time that plan has a lack of cloud migration experience. And that really results in what we call additional risk and also on the security side. And cloud providers are not taking really responsibility nor party into this. So they just sell infrastructure and tool sets and it's up to customers to ensure that data is properly managed, it's properly protected. Recoverability is really what they need to take care of. And with all of that in mind, um, customers are also looking at uniform approaches because they want to, it's not as such that they move totally to the cloud. They want to have something that protects their data as well on-premises as in the cloud. And they try to use the same approach to protect and secure their data wherever it resides. And that's something that we can usually help with. And that's the conversations I have with customers. And I imagine in some of your conversations, then you're talking about cloud in the context of modernizing and transforming digitally. And I'm curious, what would you say, you know, industries like the financial sector, what would you say they're embracing and or how well are they embracing the digital aspect as they're moving to the cloud and bringing in different types of devices yeah. and and managing the magnitude of data that's being created. Right. Um, so I believe that we can agree that the financial world is probably one, and if not the largest user of ICT on the planet. They're very dependent of IT for their business. Everything resolves around that. And they're also something that we, we don't always consider, but they're one of the most critical sectors of, for any economy, right? So uh, if you imagine a number of our banks, ICT systems being affected, that could be just like a catastrophe. Mm -hmm. We could be returning back to a bank crisis like we had in 2008, where we need to help the banks to reside. Oh, goodness. And, uh, well, it could, it could be, right? <laughs> it could be. I mean, we just need one good ransomware package that works everywhere and we're done. Mm -hmm. and the financial sector is also one of the main consumers embracing the cloud, right? I, I, I read a couple of articles from Forbes and they indicated that uh, last year, two-thirds of all U.S. financial institutions had multiple bank apps in the, running in the cloud. And that adoption trend was not going to change. It was actually going to increase. So you see that they are moving into the cloud. And then you can ask yourself, say, why do they move and, and use the cloud? And I think the cost benefit is a major driver, right? So even the financial sector is not, they have money, of course, because they, they, they that's what they do. But of course, they need to spend and they need to, they need to be cost conscientious. And, and cost benefit is a major driver, but that also, that's not always working out as, as expected. Not just the financials, but most of our organizations today are usually underestimating the migration from on-prem to cloud. It's just not so simple. It's not a copy and paste. Mm -hmm. You need applications, conversions, security needs a redesign. Um, it involves an implication of many multiple parties and additional vendors and just generates so much additional complexity and dependency. Well, I was just going to ask, with that complexity, I mean, certainly adding to the complexity is not only are they moving to the cloud, which is really great to hear that they are embracing the cloud, but they still have on-premise workloads. And so I'm kind of curious, as, as you've been talking with customers, uh, as you see the, the industry become more dynamic and certainly complex and reliant on technology, what role do you see regulators playing? Because there are a number of regulations that continue to be passed. There's some right. new ones we're expecting this year. We've heard about DORA and, and a couple of others. So I'm, I'm kind of curious what role you see they yeah. play in, in this. Yes. Well, of course, regulators understand 
the dependency will the IT dependency of financial institution and the risk that goes with that. And of course, they understand that this could be, I mean, if they, they don't do regulation and they leave the market just to, to themselves and doing what they want to do, they could be again that, that risk of a, a, a new banking sector crisis, like I referred to uh, just a few minutes ago. So mm-hmm. they do understand that dependency. And of course, they, they want to regulate that. They want to ensure that there's no other catastrophic IT incident, which would put us back again into an age of a bank crisis for a couple of years. Nobody wants that, right? So uh, with this, they do, of course, create regulation. And you mentioned things like DORA, and that's one of the regulations that are being put in place in the world these days. So they started to work on these new laws and regulations, and these regulations provide a common set of ICT standards against the cyber-related risks, and that, that goes, that's actually very wide, right? This goes from best practices, which we typically would see in the area, such as risk management is one thing, mm-hmm. ICT incident reporting, which is very important. And then the operational resiliency testing, because everybody needs to test. I mean, you need, if you have a resiliency plan, you need to test, but it goes even beyond that, right? So the new regulations are starting to speak about uh, intelligence sharing across financial institutions. So that, for instance, if one sees an incident, it reports that so the sector does not get affected. So they want them to act as community, uh, and that's, an, that's really imposed on them. They need to do that. They also want to make financial institutions responsible for dependencies they may have related to other parties, like third-party vendors, platforms, and services. Uh, and which may affect their ICT systems and services. I, I imagine cloud is part of that too, yes. the, the third parties that are being factored into the requirements. Yes, they are. I mean, returning back to DORA, right? Um, it's approved by EAU, I think in November it was now, and it's, it's going to become law. And, and then once it's, it's law, it becomes implemented by the different states, I mean, the different uh, countries. By 2024, it will cover all the requirements for the financial verticals in the EU. And of course, it's going to expand because anybody who's business is doing business with the EU in the financial sector will have to comply with those regulations. It's a bit like what we, we saw with the privacy regulations that, that the EU. Right. So it's a, it's a sort of same thing here. Um, one of the regulations in there, one of the parts of that is the ICT third party risk management. And that really requires uh, or obliges any financial institution to disclose any agreement between providers, tenants. They need service SLS uh, disclosed. They need... They need to disclose the locality of data, how they ensure access to that data. Um, so, and that third party can be a public cloud provider. So that can, that's the case. So, and DORA is just an example. Every major economy, US, Canada, UK, Japan, etc., they all, work, all across the globe are working to similar regulations. I think that in the end, these regulations are sort of, you know, they're, they're sort of in mimicking each other or copying each other. And, and it makes sense to have those regulations. So, um, so that that's that's how they we we tried how Dora is actually implement is been implemented and is been uh, impacting that that uh, financial uh, this the financial vertical. You could say that Dora is a sort of a legislation which is causing something that I call like to call the oil spill of legal requirements and responsibilities, mm-hmm. and it spreads across across a, an organization's broader ICT ecosystem. It's not just centrally; it's not just their own owned ICT systems goes broadly across that any third party they do business with related to their ICT, related to their resiliency needs to be covered through the DORA uh, operational act. And so they need to comply with that act and, and, and that act goes quite far, right? I mean, it, it includes a lot of new 
new regulation, which is not in place today, by the way. So this is completely new. So for an, a global enterprise, there's a lot that, from a risk perspective, they need to be mindful of. A lot of legislation, um, legislation, the regulations are different by region. It, it, it's a lot to certainly take in, understand, evaluate, and ultimately implement. But I would also argue when we take a look at those regulations, they're there in many respects as a baseline, but each business is unique. So we wouldn't want to stop there in terms of what they have to say we ought to implement. It doesn't mean that that we stop there, right? There, there's much more that we can and should be doing to ensure our resilience. Of course. I mean, the regulations are a baseline, as you mentioned, right? So that they they just, they just these, these are these are the rules that you need to comply to. And these require financial institutions to define, to implement, and to actually also periodically test what we would call the incident response plan uh, to ensure that they are compliant. So they need to build a plan based upon those, those, those regulations. Um, and it's not going to be an option because failure to be compliant will, of course, have consequences. Many of these regulations, well, all of the regulations come with a form of fines. And, and I don't have the detail around the fines, but they will, of course, be they will be financial and, and nobody wants mm -hmm. to pay a fine. And it's not good for reputation either. No, not at all. We still find out companies actually don't have such such incident response plan, depending the statistics. That is so surprising yes, to me. Yes, it is. It is. And to me, I mean, it's still surprising to me because today I even went out to, to look on the Internet to find out what we, we see as a, as a statistics. And depending on the sources, it ranges between 40 or 80%. And I think that's a staggering figure. Really. I, I was going to add the last percent stat that I saw was 80% of organizations don't have an incident response plan. Yes, absolutely. So um, to me, uh, I mean, that's staggering because the incident response plan is really a vital piece of information. Um, it will define what diverse organizations, divisions, and third parties' responsibilities and actions would be in stopping, you know, the, the action or, or the acting uh, upon uh, what they need to do to act upon an eventual cyber incident, depending on the type of severity of incident, because it's not just a very simple plan. An incident response plan is, is a whole category of, of information. So it, it, is not, it is not just a, a written small book. It's really an action plan on diverse levels. Uh, with diverse types of actions, and they are not only ICT, they can be very diverse. Um, so, um, so the part of the incident response plan, for instance, will be the definition of the type of attacks, the, the identified and affected services and systems, uh, what is the containment process, what is the analysis that we will do, what is the recovery process. It will also include something like the compliance notification processes, right? Because you want to be compliant as, an, as a financial institution. You cannot just get away by, okay, we had this incident, we'll cover it up. We have to disclose it, right? So the disclosure process, the legal actions, they all need to be part of that incident response plan, really. It just starts here. <laughs> well, I really want to talk about incident response plans a little bit more, but before we move forward, I just want to give a quick plug. Again, understanding and navigating all the regulations and standards out there can be quite daunting. So to help you, we have prepared a white paper. You can click on it below in the show notes, the always on, always ready enterprise. And, and in this, we're offering strategies for helping to ensure high availability and operation resiliency. So let's go ahead and get back to then you had mentioned some components of an incident response plan. So those make up what really should be a good response plan. Is there anything else it should cover? So 
defining an incident response plan is, is not so easy to answer in, in detail without going too much into the detail. But I think mm-hmm. I would define it in a, in a few logical parts, right? And, and this information is available. There's diverse organizations who are even offering services around incident response plans, the definitions and creating those. So the, the few logical parts are as following. So who's doing what? and is taking up which responsibility. So you need to identify the parties which are involved. That's the first thing. Then you need to define the severity tiers. What type of incident do we need to treat now and how are we treating it? Um, Then you need to develop and document what we call response playbooks, right? And processes for common or high impacting incidents. So you need to define the incident and then the the correct way to respond to them to a, a response playbook. And then, of course, you need periodic reviews because um, there's going to be changes, right? You need a, you have a change management process. Hopefully, the company has a change management process, and it should be included through that change management process that the response plan needs to be updated because if there's a change, new systems added, systems retire, we move things to the cloud and we, or we remove them back from cloud to on-premises. These are all changes that have an impact in the way that these systems are being set up and they should be they should be protected and they should be recovered. And that makes part of that periodical review. We need to make that periodical review and make the changes to the response plan. So I think that's that's really what makes up at least the basis of a, of some of a good response plan. Tying it back to something that you had mentioned earlier about ensuring third parties are just as compliant or that they're part of the process. Would you recommend in when you define your incident response plan that you carve out you have a, a part in there for third parties since they are supporting you in ensuring your resiliency. Yes. Um, so they, they need to be part of that. Um, and that was something that wasn't there in the past. So in the past, companies well, and, and financial institutions were very much you know, focused on, on what they, they, they controlled, their own infrastructure. Uh, with the new, in, with the new uh, regulations like DORA, um, since since we have that oil spill which I mentioned, then you go really to the boundaries of the the complete ecosystem of ICT belonging to a to a, a financial institution, which is any vendor, any contractor, even. But that means people too. Um, anything that has to do with all the systems that they they own, it could be the hardware vendors, uh, etc. All of that needs to be part of that of that plan, and. So a cloud vendor like the typical public public cloud vendors today also become responsible. They've been pulled into that. Now we need to be careful there because of course uh, the cloud vendors are protecting themselves. They protecting themselves with the shared mm-hmm. responsibility statement, where you, Mr. Customer, are responsible for your data. So they will put the boundary there. We take care of the infrastructure, right? Now the infrastructure itself is offered as it is, so it may be. The, the responsibility of the financial institution to take care of the fact that if that cloud goes down, that they actually have something else to return to and keep the system or the service um, uh, available. So they may need to work on new strategies around the, that um, because I don't think that the cloud vendor can really guarantee a 90.99.999% availability. And that's not new. We all know that through press, clouds go down regularly. So there has to be a resilient plan to, to, to cope with that so that the service remains available. And if not, well, then, of course, the uh, regulator will put down the fine on the financial institution. Well, on that note, creating a response plan isn't like baking a cake where you set it and forget it no. <laughs> while it cooks. You have to put it to practice. And so if for some reason 
your cloud service provider does go down, if you have implemented an incident response plan, defined all the critical components, your service levels, et cetera, and you test it, then you would know in advance what to do when that happens. So if you don't know if your plan works, you should test it so you're not surprised if and when yeah. an outage or a threat occurs. That, that makes a lot of sense, at least to me and, and probably to you. It's not always the case <laughs> in reality. Um, no, but, unfortunately, yeah, no, not no. not based on some of the stuff that I've read recently. Well, and not based on the, on the stuff that I that I sometimes see in, in reality either. But uh, yes, indeed. So um, regulations actually do specify that incident response plans and the resiliency plan attached to it overall needs to be tested. So that's one thing. So that makes part of that regulation. And tests will need to be documented for compliance. So they will need to prove that they are able to actually run the test and that the service that we need as a consumer actually is available. Mm -hmm. So the need for the technology supporting and reducing the cost of such tests, I think, will rise. So they are not easy to do. And those tests are taking a lot of planning and a lot of and they're they're costly to to effectively do in, in, in a traditional way. But we start to see that in conversations that we have with customers that they need some some of that. So we can help with those concerns. We can provide some tools around that and we can provide assistance and, and best practices. So uh, yes, so that, mm-hmm. that is that is something that they will need to do. They, sh- they should have already do it now, right? Like we said before, but as, we, as I said, so it's not always the case and it's not so hard regulated as it is today, as it's going to be with like with DORA for instance. Mm-hmm. DORA is very clear on the requirement that you need to test the resiliency and that you need to prove that you can do it for, for compliance testing. So it's going to be an interesting uh, new, new development. Well, I invite all of our listeners to learn more about what a fully integrated uh, solution would look like for incident recovery and, 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 again, what that can deliver. We do have in the show notes a paper with Kindrel and the Veritas team where we're providing an air gap solution for enhanced security against those threats. So I encourage you, highly encourage you to take a look at that. And Alon, in the time we have remaining, let's talk about technology's role in assuring operational resilience. So we've talked about having an incident response plan. And obviously that plan tests something like our ability to adapt and recover in times of crises. When meeting with customers, what strategies do you recommend implementing around availability, resiliency? Right. So we can do a lot. And that's the first thing. So, and and my advice would be, um, it doesn't fit for all. I mean, it's not like a one piece recipe. There are things that that everybody can do for sure. Um, but of course, uh, my first advice would be reach out to, to us and we'd be happy to come and talk to you about about things, uh, how we, we see, I mean, about your particular environment and, and your particular needs. We can certainly help there. My recommendations in general would be um, backup strategies would be an implementation of a 3 one strategy. And, and that's something that Veritas is already promoting for uh, at least a couple of years. And that would not just be on-prem, but you also need to do that in the cloud. Uh, many people are still looking at this like an on-prem you know, strategy. That is not true. We can also do that in the cloud, and we should also do that in the cloud. So certainly have three copies, two types of media, and one off-site copy available. Also use data immutability or immutability in general, on-prem, but also in the cloud. The cloud is not more, I mean, it's not different than on-prem. Right. Your data resides somewhere. It, it doesn't matter where it resides. It's always at risk. As long as you can reach it, it's at risk, right? So... And I mean, reach it as a user. We can reach 
all of our systems within within our company. And that's, and that's the risk, right? We are the risk. That's usually how ransomware starts, by the way. It's with the user. I think so people forget also, that sometimes. Yeah, I think they do. I think they do. I think they 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 think it's a it's a guy with a hoodie somewhere in a, in a dark room trying to get the system or hack it through a firewall. It's not like that, right? The best the best the best the best use case for for a ransomware package to come in is actually over email or over social engineered media. It's 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 like that. So we click on something and we don't know what we're clicking on. And it's gone before we know it, and it's actionable or it's in action before we even know it. So, so that's really how it works. So, again, um, three to one backup strategy, data immutability for backups um, on prem in the cloud, um, use anomaly detection, which we have in our solution. Um, also, use backup malware scan to make sure that it doesn't it doesn't appear in in the backup system in the backups that you you are taking. Because malware can can be dormant, mm -hmm. it's not necessarily active. It can be dormant and it can move into your backups. For months, um, perhaps. It can be well. It depends. Uh, it depends on how it was engineered, and 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 it was it it's engineered, right? I mean, we have we have organizations as large as a company creating ransomware. It's a business, yeah. And I'm and I'm not. I mean, I even know of ransomware as a service these days. So it's it's awkward, but that's the way it is. It's not to be underestimated. Um, certainly, we, we talk about backup, we talk about stab stabilizing, making data available wherever it is, but also look at the way to recover it. I think we, we had a previous podcast around isolated recovery areas, try to implement things like that um, and implement what we call, we also have resiliency platform for orchestrated uh, mass recovery. Uh, that is something that you certainly need to look into. And, and of course, um, mass recovery is also rehearsed, right? Resiliency platform offers you to rehearse without to, doing the mass recovery. It just verifies that all the variables and all the systems are available to do it. So it, that's, again, that is, is something that is very useful, especially with Adora and all the other regulations in mind. Implement reporting, oversee consequences of change, um, adapt plans as needed. Um, Certainly, I mean, it's it's this, this will never end. It's an ever ongoing story and an ever ongoing change and, and, and strategy that you need to tune as you get along. Um, it's not because you create a resiliency plan that you can say, tick in a box and I'm done. No, this is the start, right? That resiliency plan needs to grow with the changes in the company. Um, otherwise, it's, I mean, it, it has no use, right? Um, so it, it has to be kept as appropriate and as up to date as possible. So I think that's really what what we can what we can do around that. And of course, high availability is another piece that we can look at. I spoke about the cloud. A cloud is not fail proof, certainly not. And there's enough data around that to prove it. It's not fail proof. And try to understand on how you can make your um, applications resilient within the cloud. Maybe even over two clouds. Maybe it doesn't belong in the cloud. We can certainly help you on-premises too. So again, these are all things that we need to look on at. On that note, since you had just mentioned it, yep. so some workloads just don't belong in the cloud. But in the event that there's a, there's a requirement or maybe there's an outage, ensuring full availability also and in your incident response plan should include an exit strategy for any of your critical applications, right? Running in the cloud. How do we help customers plan for that exit strategy? in the event of? Yes, so there are there are different ways that we can help there. Um, we have solutions that allow you to do a demigrate or a reverse strategy or an exit strategy from the cloud. 
so that could be based upon our capability with InfoScale, for instance, to move to move mm -hmm. uh, data from the cloud back to on-prem, and we can do that through the replication capabilities that with, within the solution itself. Um, our backup solution can help with that too. Um, since we are backing up the information, we back it up in clear, which means that our data is portable. So if you have made backups, let's say with NetBackup in the cloud, and you have that information in the backup, you can bring that back on-premises and restore that information there too. So we do help in, in several aspects from, from that perspective. And we have already done that with a couple of customers who said that they want to, to move from the cloud. So so that that's a reality. Um, and, and again, so that that also indicates that you should not really think about a a resiliency strategy based upon cloud tools only because cloud no, tools only work holistic. for that particular tool absolutely absolutely and that's an essential thing that that customers need to keep in mind you 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 don't want to do ransomware because you're taking hostage right uh, you want to avoid it but of course if you go into a cloud and you become you actually become you can become ransomed by that cloud because you're stuck in that cloud at a certain point don't put all your your data just in the cloud and use cloud i mean cloud specific tools which are proprietary to that cloud don't don't do that make sure that you can always remove move back from it using our technologies you can do that so we are trained we are, i mean data portability is, is part of our strategy when we develop our technologies so that's an important thing. And I think that's a level of flexibility that all organizations need. And so when they're looking for a data management vendor, looking to protect and, and be able to support the yeah. hybrid multi-cloud world, it really does come down to also flexibility. So again, I just want to uh, remind our listeners here today to please check out our white paper on the always on, always ready enterprise for dealing with each of these strategies. And so I think we've come full circle here today. And as I think back on our conversation, there's one thing I can certainly take away and it's that assuring operational resilience is tough. It, it, th there's a lot that we need to focus on and need to consider. And you throw in just the, the wide variety of regulations that are out there and the risk of not doing anything. Putting a plan in place today so that you know how you'll respond and recover is paramount. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think so. Absolutely. And again, I think we need to, I mean, if you, if you, we can, we can help, please talk to us, come to us. We'd happy to have that conversation with you. And, and again, I mean, from my experience on, I think that that's, yeah, I mean, if a company thinks that they're alone in this, in this, in this endeavor to, to get, um, I mean, to be resilient, to adopt the cloud, to to make sure that there is an exit strategy, and all these, all the all the things that we discussed here, uh, you're not alone there. I mean, we we talk to companies like that every day, so it is good to have that conversation. It's good to be prepared. Um, we can help there. And it's good to have that conversation today and not tomorrow. So, Alan, thank you so much for joining me here today. <laughs> I very much enjoyed our conversation and. Um, certainly appreciate the, the value of incident response plans and ensuring your operational resiliency. So again, thank you, Alon. Thank you, Shiloh. Thanks to all of you listening in today, and we'll see you on the next Voice of Veritas. <laughs>